I'm Kate Montague. And I'm Jess Binnett. And you're listening to the Audiocraft Podcast, a series of sessions from our 2018 festival, recorded on the day by ABC RN. This session is about a feeling that most of us have experienced at some point of our practice, creative fatigue. As the podcast landscape gets more crowded, it can sometimes feel like every idea has been done before, and the motivation to kind of stay fresh can get thrown into the too hard basket. Both our presenters have been doing this podcast thing for a long time. Eleanor McDowell is the series producer of BBC Radio 4's Shortcuts podcast and a senior producer at Falling Tree, where she just celebrated her 10-year anniversary. She's speaking with Helen Zaltzman, who's been producing the comedy podcast Answer Me This for 11 years, making it one of Britain's longest-running podcasts. She's also the host and producer of The Illusionist, which she makes for Radiotopia. Both Helen and Eleanor feel the pressure to keep reinventing, and in this episode, they share with you the creative hacks they've honed over time to help them through. Thank you very much for having us. I was just looking down at the notes that I've written for today. It's going to be quite a bleak session. The top capitals just say, my fears, which is what we're opening with. Yeah, it's going to get nihilistic, I think. Yeah. I think um, in a very British, we're very emotionally vulnerable at the moment because we've flown so far (laughs) and have no sense of time. Um, So we kind of want to talk about this feeling of, you know, we all work in an industry that's joyous and curious and generous and open and exciting but can what industry are you talking about <laughs> i'm getting into film oh congrats um, but it's often I one it's a trampoline or something <laughs> that's going to be my sub that's my yeah. other hobby professional trampolining that we work in this space that's like not always brilliantly funded where often you don't have a huge amount of time to do things where often you're making the same show every single week and you have to keep delivering it even though you're dead inside And um, so we're just going to talk about how you alleviate feeling dead inside, I think. Um, Cool. So (laughs) should we start with my fears and then you're going to tell me how to fix it all? Sure, okay. That'll happen. All right. (laughs) So I'm not sure if many people have heard the show that I make uh, for the BBC back in England. It's called Shortcuts. And it's uh, essentially a space for new adventurous short radio documentaries from around the world. And it's hosted by a comedian called Josie Long, who's been out here a few times to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And um, we've been doing it for five years. I've been sort of locking her in a tiny studio and getting her to tell me sort of funny but relevant anecdotes of traumatic events from her childhood, (laughs) where we've sort of... (laughs) Yeah, she's got a lot. Yeah, she had a a difficult... I've known her for like 15-ish years, and it never gets old, really. It's a difficult time. But it kind of occurred to me that we'd hit this point recently where we'd um, just gone past 100 episodes, and I was thinking about other shows that I knew that had done 100 episodes, like Friends or Frasier, and that's always the (laughs) point where they just absolutely fall to shit. And um, so I just had this kind of deep fear, and um, I asked Josie on our last recording before we finished just to kind of talk a little bit about doing it for a long time and if she thought she was kind of repeating herself. So I might play this and then Helen's going to fix everything. Sure. Um. We've done over 100 episodes of our radio show Shortcuts, which in TV terms would mean that we'd be absolutely minted. But it's not the case in radio terms. Although we're having a great time. I don't know how relevant this is. Anyway, we've done 100 episodes of, at least, of Shortcuts. I think sometimes I'll be writing something and I'll be like oh, this definitely feels very shortcutsy. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes when your life goes one way, you realise it's actually gone another way. Like, I think I'm now capable of, like, instantly making up parodies of what it is we're doing. So a good parody for shortcut that Slink would be, sometimes in life, the moments of connection that you need aren't where you were looking for them. But because they're not where you were looking for them, they're so much stronger when you do find them. That's good, right? Something like that. So that was quite a bleak conversation to have where I realised how easily she could just do a brutal read of everything we'd worked for five years in. So, Helen, how do you stop yourself from becoming a parody of yourself? Is now the time to tell you I do not know. Uh, (laughs) Um, I remember last summer I was hosting a BBC Radio 4 show that I was neither particularly emotionally nor professionally invested in. And um, after, after the recording, my husband said, well done, I could barely even tell you were phoning it in. 
Uh, so if you hear me read a script that a producer has written and handed to me, then um, you know that uh, I have checked out sometime before. Um, so, but most of my stuff is things that I've made, so it's only my fault, really. Um, answer me this, um, the 363rd episode is due out next week. And um, so I think our 100th episode was around the time when we were getting better at it. That's where it really got cooking. Yeah, yeah. exactly, but that was, like, I was 29 then. And uh, I'm not now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, when we started the show, I had a young person's rail card for discounts on the trains, and now my eyebrows are turning white. Um, and it's sort of awkward to have this record of my um, last 11 years of existence. Do you think you can kind of parody yourself? Like, what's a traditional Helen Zaltzman link? I don't know if I'm self-aware enough to say that, but I do know when I'm scripting The Illusionist, um, I often find myself writing Carrie Bradshaw-style questions. <laughs> so I came to wonder, how did semicolons happen? You know, shit like that. <laughs> but really, why do we have gendered titles? And then I have to try and write them out if I can be bothered, and if I can't, then they're in the show, you can spot them. <laughs> Um, so, because I really feel like um, uh, my intelligence is a lot more limited than people realise, and uh, I'm kind of bumping up at the edges of it, like um, in the Truman Show where he reaches the edges of his little world and he just finds it's like a wall with clouds painted on it, and he just bashes against it with his boat. That's how I feel in my mind. Do you have a... <laughs> Already said too much. <laughs> Let's lean into it. It's going to get really Oh, big. shit. Yeah. I mean, do you, is that something that you're worried about? Are you worried about... Do I seem worried? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, of course. Um, but the thing is, answer me this... Um, uh, answer me this is the same format every time. We take questions from our listeners. Um, and it is pretty deliberately the same but different every time. Whereas The Illusionist, I try to approach it differently each time, depending on what the topic requires. And... Um, I, I think in both, what I find myself doing is automatically, without even really thinking about it, trying to edit out the two most obvious options. And I think this is because I grew up in a very joke-heavy household, and I was the youngest person in it because I was a mistake baby. So there were several years between me and my eldest brothers, and uh, they are very, very funny people. And um, I would just be sitting like, at the dinner table, and they would have all this... Um, all these anecdotes about what happened at school, and I just thought, shit, I've got no material. <laughs> and uh, I was discouraged from talking unless I could uh, compete. And um, I think that's why um, in jokes, but also in, in planning a podcast, I, I just dismiss without even thinking about it what would be the most obvious approaches, which are sometimes good ones that I should have considered. I mean, obvious is an interesting idea, isn't it? Because I suppose when you're kind of crafting a podcast, you spend so much time anxiously trying to find your voice and trying to kind of find your signature sound and to mm. kind of nail it down. And then you get to a point where you get really bored with it and you've heard it so many times <laughs> and you're just worried that you're endlessly repeating this formula that you found. So how do you, like, how do you subvert that once you've kind of got a space that a listener likes and is bought into and sort of trusts. How do yeah. you then betray them yeah, by changing it. what you sound like to keep your spirit alive? Yeah, that's difficult, isn't it? It's like, it's like when bands have a couple of successful albums and then they try and do their, their avant jazz album and people hate it. But you can appreciate that they're just trying to seem like they can still reinvent. Um, so what is my avant jazz? Uh, uh, I do try and fuck with the format. So The Illusionist is a factual show about language and I can interpret that as I want, but the basics is that people have to have a few take-home pieces of information about language every episode. Um, but then um, th there were a couple of episodes I did about the vocabulary around uh, elections, and I just uh, th there's some really weird words with really weird origins to do with politics, like poll and ballot and whatnot. And um, I thought, well, I'd, I could just bash through them and do a list, but that would be very dry and boring. Um, so the day before the British general election in 2015, I went to a place called Speaker's Corner, which is traditionally where people go with megaphones and just shout shit um, on Sunday afternoons, um, sort of like soapbox. And um, I recorded me shouting about this made-up political um, party with um, like etymological principles uh, <laughs> as a way of talking about um, the history of words. And then... The next year, um, in February 2016, it was the primaries for the American election, so I did a US version. But for that, 
Um, I thought, okay, speaker's corner, we know what that is in Britain. But what is a typical thing in American electioneering It is um, getting cold called by someone campaigning for one of the candidates. Um, so I, a friend's stepmother was doing cold calling for Bernie Sanders and um, I got her to give me the script. And then I kind of rewrote it as if I was this person campaigning for etymological um, <laughs> policies and then got a few, lined up a few friends to... Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to call you. Your situation is you're cooking dinner or you're in the park or something and I'm going to outline this policy and you just have to react. And um, you're in this mood, by the way. So um, this, um, this is a clip of Nick Vanderkolk from Love and Radio getting called by me while he was at home and in a bad mood. Hello? Hello, my name's Helen Zaltzman, and I'm calling on behalf of the Lexocrat Party. How are you today? What do you want? Official records show you voted in the previous election, and I'm calling today to mm -hmm. thank you for being a voter and to earn your support for the Lexocrat candidate right. this time round. Can we count on your vote in this election? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm really not as engaged in politics as I used to be, so I think I'm going to sit this one out. We know it's very important to Lexocrat voters to bring the political system back to its linguistic roots. Do you think Congress has done enough to live up to its history? Because in Latin, Congress would have sometimes meant a fight. Would you be more interested in politics if there was more bare-knuckle fighting involved? It goes on. <laughs> um, uh, two satisfying things happened after this episode uh, one was that someone made me lexicrat bumper stickers and uh, the other is that people said how did you make it so realistically annoying <laughs> uh, but uh, I also cannot imagine ever doing anything fun again uh, to do with elections yeah nothing like, we're no. never going back to the UK after uh, uh, yeah. no, please take us <laughs> <laughs> But, so when you're doing something like that, because I, I suppose the thing that I think about a lot of the time in the way that I listen to podcasts is, you know, I, I do often gravitate towards familiarity in a depressing way where I think sort of artistically, creatively, you want to be constantly innovating and surprising and doing something different. But actually, as a listener, often, like, I'll find myself very attached to a voice or a format or something where I feel kind of I can trust the space that it's yeah. operating in. Yeah, you want to enter into that mood that that show gives you. Yeah. That kind of escape. So how do you, so when you're playing with your format and, um, and kind of leaving your listeners behind, do they, do they react angrily? Are they... Uh... Sometimes. <laughs> um, I, there's a bit of tension because I like my show best when I'm not in it, but um, I'm aware that some of the listeners are listening for my company. <laughs> Um, so it's just working out what, how much of myself I can remove um, and keep those perverts happy. And, um, but at, at the beginning and the end of the show, uh, there's always like a little top and tail with a little bit of stupid business straight off and a little bit of stupid business just before the end and then me reading a lot of housekeeping and ads um, because I have to and Giving also I like getting formula. paid. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm basically a salesman for Squarespace and socks. And uh, in between, there's some edutainment. Um, but, but yeah, I think as long as, as, long as there's a bit of that, um, I can get away with messing around quite a lot with what's in between. And as long as it works as well. But their interpretation of what works might be different to mine. But I, they just have to trust me that I know better than them about that. Because I think with, um, you know, when we're thinking about constraints on shortcuts, we're very lucky in that, like, the, the sort of shtick of the show is stylistic diversity so you have lots of different producers telling stories in lots of different ways which kind of allows for that space to sound quite fresh although it's obviously like squished through my personal taste so there's a worry that it always becomes just the stuff that I like um, but the thing that you know we are aware of repeating over and over again is um, is taking Josie our presenter into a studio where she's kind of in trapped between the same four walls and uh, we try to have a very naturalistic feel to the scripting. So it's all um, worked improvisation in a studio. She'll just be locked in there for two hours and I will just be pushing her on her childhood and funny things that sort of happened to her and, uh, you know, trying to kind of break her down emotionally. Have you ever space. considered training child gymnasts? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very good with my trampolining professional yeah. experience, so I'll be fine. Um, so one of the things that we've uh, done to various degrees of success, and I'll play you a couple of examples, is to kind of, to take Josie out of this space, which I think is our way of 
of playing with the constraints in the format and to kind of just literally put her in a different situation to see if she talks differently. So um, here is a successful, hopefully, yeah. version of this where she's doing, um, we have tops and tails for our podcast because we're a radio program that gets pushed out through that medium. Um, so here is her at the end of the podcast, wrapping it up after I'd, I'd taken her and put her in a stream. So pleasant. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Can I do it like that? Yeah, yeah, but down a little. Oh, bit. it's so pleasant. <laughs> this is very pleasant. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to Shortcuts. I'm still in the water. <laughs> You can find many more programmes to listen to and download at bbc.co.uk forward slash Radio 4. And may I recommend... Uh, You can can recommend... um, What do you listen to? Oh, I don't listen to any of it! (laughs) Um, So that's Josie at her pure and happiest. She is high on being in a stream, isn't she? She really is. But it's quite an inter- it kind of gives you this space where immediately you'll find like scripting wise if you're trying to kind of think about something about the human condition it is much easier just to say to like dump you in I, a stream yeah <laughs> I'm in a stream thinking about the human condition like look at this water I can see a duck there's a bird flying overhead it's like it's, ancient Greek comedies <laughs> yeah in many ways that's yeah, what I'm we in a basket for. thinking about things yeah um, so another one that we tried um, in order to uh, torture her into bringing us something beautiful was we had an episode called The Clock where every single short documentary was tied to a certain time of day and was kind of something to do with that point so I thought it would be a really brilliant idea uh, to take Josie who's not necessarily a morning person and to be with her at all of the times that we'd covered like dawn and four in the morning so I went to wake her up and um, here's what that sounds like I didn't have any breakfast because when I wake up, if I have to wake up early, my stomach's like, goes really haywire. My stomach's just like, what are you doing? You, you sleep. <laughs> okay. Right. This is short. <laughs> no, that's terrible. This is shortcuts. It's five in the morning. Which is very early for comedians. It's basically one in the morning comedian time. Which is she's very uh, she's a lovely woman. So mean. (laughs) (laughs) It's always really terrible when um, I record uh, hosting stuff straight after I've woken up. I always sound fine at the time in my mind, and then I go back and like, wow, you sound like Madge from Neighbours. It's a good local ref. <laughs> um, do you ever do things like that to well, play throw with... Throw myself in a stream at 5am. Yeah, have yeah. you thought about it as a technique? This is what we're advocating. The mortification of the flesh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not exactly. I'm going to consider it now. Uh, but I am a wimp. And um, a lot of my shows I make from whichever room I am living in at the time. And um, I deal with people over Skype who I'm interviewing. Um, and... I do prefer conversing with people in person, but often it's the way to get like someone who is... I spoke to some people at the South Pole and um, I could not afford to go there. Um, so it was much more convenient to do it online. Um, but also, uh, when I go to places, they do turn into episodes that the audience seem to really positively respond to. So I should maybe do that more. But going to places involves talking to strangers and I'm terrified of that and going up to people with the mic going hey chat to me um I feel extremely awkward about um but um I I I went and did this a few times uh, very bravely <laughs> and um this clip is um last last uh, summer I went to a crossword tournament in a church basement in New York there are like 300 people competing um, through the course of the day for a, for a $25 Amazon gift card. <laughs> and, but it's the second biggest crossword tournament in America, so there's also like a lot of What do you win at stakes. the first biggest? A $28 gift card. <laughs> um, you, but they had a lot of kudos, the people who win are strutting around like monarchs. Um, uh, so here's a bit of me there. We're going to be starting in about 10 minutes. 
How do you train for a crossword puzzle tournament? I don't actually. Every year I think I should do more puzzles on paper to practice and work on speed and then I just forget about it and just show up and do the puzzles. All the training is just doing a bunch of puzzles. I've done 50 puzzles in a day. Wow. Why? For funsies. How long did that take? About 10 minutes? About 11, 12 minutes. No training? None. Zero. Wow. We drank tequila last night. That was the training. That was your prepping. That is a true athlete. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So basically I had to go up to strangers for eight hours and uh, ask them things, um, which uh, I suppose was good for me. But another benefit um, of being there was that things happened at the crossword puzzle tournament that I would not have known about. They only happen in the room. Um, Turns out that this, like most of the day is people silently completing crossword puzzles. But um, a sonically rich environment, (laughs) just some quiet thinking. Yeah, I just put out eight hours of scribbling. Um, But uh, there are these meta elements at this particular tournament. So there was this point where I was like, am I fucking hallucinating? Or has the room started to make cat noises? Uh, Because they'd got to a clue in a secretly cat-themed crossword uh, where it was like nine across and they, they all had to mew in the room and they all got to the clue at slightly different times so like this like soft mewing started and then suddenly the whole room was mewing I was like, what the fuck is happening <laughs> but if i'd been home on a skype connection wouldn't wouldn't have got that shall we hear oh, the room oh, shit the i forgot room... i cut a clip of it but i've given it away now imagine you haven't heard that yeah as the 20 minute solving time began the room was quiet save for the scribbling of pens on paper then after a few moments Funny, the year before, um, people's phones kept going off and people were really pissed off and then they realised that the ringtones were clues. Uh, fuck. <laughs> uh, That's how you get the gift card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you really have to earn it. Um, but, but this episode um, it came out uh, of a listener, a listener called Bruce, um, who uh, lives an incredible life, uh, going around the world doing crossword tournaments and marathons and drinking craft beer. And um, Bruce is um, a big supporter of um, Radiotopia, the network I'm in. And, um, and he was like, oh, I'm doing this uh, crossword puzzle thing. And I was like, that sounds fun. I should come along and uh, record it. And um, so I wouldn't have had the idea or even known about it without Bruce. And quite a lot of the Illusionist episodes come from listeners. And um, they'll just email me going, I've done this research or I, I have this So we get into our true capitalist technique, which is outsourcing. Yeah. Or if you haven't got any ideas, then... Oh, absolutely. I mean, answer me this. Like, the whole thing is other people's uh, work and I just shape it into something. Um, but uh, I've had quite a lot of people who've emailed where I'm just like, I don't really care, but I suppose I should write back. And then it's really turned into something, so I should just be less of a bitch when I get the emails. Um, <laughs> Uh, so um, uh, a couple of years ago now, a woman called Lauren Marks emailed me and she said, I live in the same neighborhood in London as you. Um, also, when I was 27, I had a stroke and I lost almost all of my vocabulary, uh, all but 40 words. And um, by the time I got round to emailing her, um, she was like, well, I did live two streets away from you, but now I've moved back home to Los Angeles. And um, so eventually I did meet up with her in Los Angeles. It was great. Her mum made cookies. We had a really fun time. Um, and we became friends, but I, I thought, uh, I felt a bit dutiful about doing her story of losing her language, so I thought, it's interesting, but it seems a bit bleak and, uh, uh, you know, august, and instead, like, it was such a surprise. She was incredibly joyful, um, and I could never have predicted that. Anyway, here's a little bit of this is how it begins. There was absolutely no warning. I mean, I was actually performing on stage when it happened. I, was, I went on stage to perform a karaoke duet, <laughs> what was the song? <laughs> it was Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> Wrong organ. <laughs> I know, but it's okay to laugh because I just really am glad I didn't die doing that. So, anyways, I was on stage, I was singing, and I was up singing the song and then I was down Nothing I can do, a total of the- 
I collapsed immediately because it was not known to me at the time, but an aneurysm had ruptured in my brain and it was hemorrhaging. Spoiler, she's fine because she's in the show, so you know she survives. (laughs) Yay. Um, But... uh, I did do my first karaoke a few months ago when Total Eclipse of the Heart came up. I was like, no. (laughs) That is ruined. Uh, um, But yeah, when we started Answer Me This, we predicated it upon material from the listeners. Um, They supply questions. And um, at the time, this was just because we thought we don't want to have to prepare it all from scratch ourselves every time. Um, But this was before everything was thought to be interactive. We weren't on Twitter and Facebook then. And I think now you're just used to news programs going, keep on texting in, join the conversation. Like, is, not a conversation. Is that all just because, yeah. as sort of reporters, we're all just so sort of deadened and empty of ideas that now we just need to, like, constantly feed... Oh, thank it's you. okay. Yeah. It's really okay. Just feed off kind of listeners' faces and reactions and that kind of content. I mean, it's, it's something we've done a lot with, um, with shortcuts as well that I know, like, throwing... Uh, we did an episode called The Stranger where I got a some old telephone books and put Josie in a studio late at night this time which was a much more friendly time for her (laughs) and got her to cold call strangers at random to kind of engage them in conversation is that ethical not not entirely I don't think we got their permission except for the one person who we we put out without their permission but um just him saying go away so it was it was fine okay I'm sure he I'm sure he'd stand by that but Um, I think (laughs) But I think there's something about like throwing yourselves into situations and being receptive to other people, like leaving yeah. your house and going to meet ah. strangers. <laughs> a terrible experience. Yeah. But what I like is when people volunteer their experience. So I had um, an episode last year, which is about how um, we don't have great words for describing our bodies, particularly uh, in sexual contexts. And um, some trans listeners wrote in saying, when I have to go to the doctor, it's really difficult to describe things because there are a bunch of words I'm not comfortable using. And then medical word, words feel like either terrifying or just inappropriate. And then sexy words aren't necessarily fitting either. So what was it? And I was like, wow, this is uh, very compelling. And so a bunch of trans listeners um, recorded their own experiences with their own bodies. And I cut that together into an episode. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was just material I would have never known to find and is not my own experience. And then like, um, there was one where it was about the word step as in step parents, which is um, to do with grief. And people, I just said, listeners, if you've got, if, you, if you're in a step situation yourself with your parents or your stepchildren or siblings, how do you feel about the terminology? And they recorded some really moving, interesting stuff. And then some of them were like, I never thought about this before you asked. And now you have, I realize I hate it. So thank you. Uh, um, And um, then I did this episode about the history of um, personal ads. Um, And so I got listeners to read out their online dating profiles and uh, made a little montage. Here's a small amount of that montage. Quixotic, altruistic, honest, kind, professional woman who likes really good pie, used bookstores, Conversations with small children. My passions are board games, Night animation, skies, and overanalyzing everything. By the ocean. I'm always up for something new. World trivia, bale forts, and perhaps you. Tell me about your mind. Software developer seeking retired astronaut. Outdoorsy nerd. Born in northern city, raised in southern city. You're intellectual, but fun. You're a fun intellectual. I value curiosity and empathy and a well-made burrito. Uh, and um, just let it be known that I have a morbid fear of audience participation, so I would never do this. <laughs> what a hypocrite. I would never get in touch with any show volunteering anything. Have you no. never contacted her? No. <laughs> Who does that? The people that run my uh, shows seek without knowing it. But I think that kind of collaboration is such a kind of helpful thing. Well, when we're talking about like these acts of sort of small ways of reinventing, it's that thing that I'm afraid of is that I'll... Um, I'll stop listening to other voices and I'll stop listening to kind of the way people would tell their own stories and be become so sort of locked in my own perspective. I think that's the danger of doing the same show over and over again. And it must be something that all, even if you're not working on a format, that we must all feel about as sort of feature makers and documentary makers, that there's a sort of terror that you're constantly seeing things from the same perspective again. So I'm kind of interested in how you open yourself up to to the way other people tell stories. How do you do it, Helen? I mean, I mostly work by myself, so this is a problem I need to try and address. (laughs) 
Have you? But you have been collaborating with people more and more with kind of producers and other. No, <laughs> uh, not really, because uh, I, as said at the beginning, I am uh, self-taught and I never learnt to delegate or <laughs> work in a team. Wow, I've really taken the atmosphere down. <laughs> I can feel the pity. Thank you. Because <laughs> the the thing that I wonder about as well, and I mean, hopefully, maybe this will be a conversation in the room. Um, to do with working in this form and kind of repeating things over and over again, what kind of emotional strategies people have for that? Because I don't think people have a very honest conversation about the emotional toll that a lot of this stuff takes if you're having to kind of constantly generate ideas and you're having to do it very quickly and you don't have a lot of time to be working on all of them. Yeah. Um, that it's sort of, you're always feeding on this part of yourself that's the part that's kind of getting excited about a story or getting excited about a person and wanting to kind of communicate something. And I think that, that dries up a little bit sometimes within the structures that we work in. Yeah, but then you just tell yourself it's not that important. It's just uh, things to put in people's <laughs> ears and we're all going to die one day. And uh, <laughs> Is that your emotional strategy for yes. survival? Just yeah. contemplating your own mortality yeah, constantly? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what you, sincerely, Helen Zaltzman, what do you, like, what yeah, do, you do? I to just told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also the listener does not need to know that you didn't enjoy making it or that you're in pain. They're not, they are not there to hear that, right? So you've always got to think, okay, what is good value experience for them? Is it me whining about my great life making audio? No, it isn't. So it's just always thinking, okay, is what I'm including making a good use of their time? Shut the fuck up about the rest. That's <laughs> what goes on. I've, again, I feel like very exposed. This feels like tough love from the early Zaltzman household. It's yes, just, correct. Yeah. Don't, don't come at me with your problems and yes. your feelings. Yes, just, yeah. uh, just... Tell us a joke. Stop. Tell us another joke. If you don't have feelings, then you can't feel bad. So... <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we'd like to leave you with as a British guide to audio making. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a British form of Buddhism. Do you think you still have the ability after to make, feel <laughs> to feel anything? <laughs> yeah, let's no. After making how many episodes have you made of Answer Me This? Answer Me This is 363 next week, and then Illusionist. The 79th one was supposed to come out yesterday, but I'm here. Um, so, and I'm the sole producer, pretty much, of all of those. And do you still think you can listen to those with fresh ears? Do you <laughs> think you can kind of hear? Can you hear like tropes or traps that you start to fall into over and over again? Um, well, the trick to that is just not listening back. <laughs> it says, we're giving some really terrible advice. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel anything. Never listen to no. what you make. Face put forward. It out and then let it go. Face this in the past. Face forward as you trudge towards the end. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought we were going to be so upbeat and rousing about uh, burnout. But it turns out it's a depressing subject. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Again, just don't have feelings and you can't feel burnt out. If you pre-burn them, it's like when they like prevent forest fires by uh, creating channels without plants in. Do you do you get other people to listen to the work that you make and to sort of to tell you that's a kind of that's an obvious Helen Zaltzman thing to do, or that's a I don't know what an obvious Helen Zaltzman thing to do is, apart from leave things way late. Um, <laughs> but. Um, so, so sometimes people will read a script and um, uh, my husband has been um, uh, helping me on the show recently and um, a couple of weeks ago I did this episode that I felt really overwhelmed by. It was about um, the Scots language, which is a minority language that English, uh, particularly Southeast English, where I'm from, uh, almost obliterated and causes still a lot of kind of self-hatred problems among speakers of Scots. And there's a lot of stigma attached to speaking the language. So I was trying to tread carefully because I am one of the oppressors in in voice if not intent and also just i had a lot of material i'd spoken to two people who had both like academic experience of it and long personal feelings about it and i had too much material and i just couldn't see the show and then my i asked my husband to cut the clips while i was doing the the written edit and he was like that's good and i was like okay then <laughs> i'll carry on to the end that's so all you're looking for is just positive yeah. reinforcement was, just to yeah. keep the he spirit was, alive yeah he was like no it is interesting 
And uh, so thus I kicked myself into getting it done to sell the socks. And because uh, I, I think I really appreciate someone being horrible to me about it. I think really? that's how I keep my this is well. This is my childhood as opposed to your childhood, where my love was shown with like negative reinforcement, and, like trying to do better. Yeah. So I am um, yeah. I have uh, um, my colleague who I work with at Falling Tree, Alan Hall, who's wonderful and very very brutal. And I think I would <laughs> advocate for having someone who you kind of trust to be honest and critical and to tell you where you're kind of falling into traps and to tell you where you know who knows you well enough to know that's something that you find easy to do right do you wish he would put it in more nice terms yeah (laughs) that's much more to the point it's much uh much quicker that way but i think it's you know it's positive reinforcement as well but i think it's it's someone who can tell you the truth i think is really really precious and there's loads of people that will tell you like oh it was such a great listen oh i'm so excited to hear this but there are very p- few people that will say like didn't you do something quite similar to that before or isn't this the space that you feel safe because i think we get techniques i don't want like i can't speak for you maybe you're wonderful at everything and I'm just like I have very specific niche skills but they I just hide my weaknesses (laughs) that's the trick in life yeah but um yeah I think there's again a childhood tip (laughs) certain uh spaces where I think I feel safe in kind of you know working with music or cutting montage and I can kind of come back to certain things over and over again because it's kind of a, a place that I know how to play and I think part of you know all of the things that we've talked about are kind of literally putting yourself into positions where you're kind of forcing yourself to do something new or you're kind of forcing a kind of chaos around the way that you would normally work like I remember one of the things we did with Josie taking her out with the studio which I thought was a really great idea and then really quickly thought was a really bad idea when we started actually doing it was for an episode called the witching hour where I thought, wouldn't it be brilliant if we went out into a forest in the middle of the night, like they do in horror movies? Um, Because it always goes fine in those. Because it's all, yeah. (laughs) I was just going to check on a strange noise in this forest, but I couldn't find a forest because we were in the centre of London and Josie was doing a show and she's like, oh, don't worry, I'll be free at like half 11. And so I spoke to Helen about it and she was like, there's a small cot. Well, I said, don't do it. That was what I said. (laughs) (laughs) But then she told me about a small wood that was near where she was living in Streatham. And um, we kind of went to your house at like 11.30 at night and you gave us torches. Yes, you need torches when you go into a wood at (laughs) night. And uh, yeah, set us off thinking that, uh, like I thought it would be so atmospheric. And then quickly within about sort of five minutes of standing in this uh, tiny copse in Streatham, like about midnight at this point, Josie said like, oh, can you see that shadow in the distance? And it was just a strange man walking towards where we were kind of completely on our own. And I just sort of had this moment. I was like, I wanted to play a clip because what I remember saying at the time was, fuck, 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 we need to run, I'm going to kill you, fuck. But (laughs) when I listened back, all I'd said in my head was like, oh, we should walk to the other side of the wood. And then... (laughs) And um, yeah, I just genuinely thought that I, that that was how I was going to die. And I say it really keeps the spirit alive in what you're making. <laughs> a near death experience is the other thing that I would advocate. Ah, do you but, trip, trip over any roots or anything? No, we were we were largely okay. unscathed by the whole thing. But it's I think that that sense of being uh, being a little bit frightened, being a little bit uneasy, like when you start making stuff. I mean, I, I sort of still feel this when I go to do an interview or anything, because, you know, if you care about something, you get nervous about it. But, like, remembering that fear of going into something new, of talking to someone in a way that you don't know how to do it, of kind of upending the scenario in some way so that you stay alive and present in it. Did you interview the man in the wood? <laughs> yeah, from a distance screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an enemy? <laughs> He was not our friend. He was not. Sorry. Yeah. It's a lovely... We're, we're really advocating London as a holiday destination here, aren't we? Brexit, strangers in the woods. He's probably just having a walk. It's a lovely wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that fearfulness... Like, do you ever um, play with your interview technique or kind of try and approach it from different angles in order to get a different response? Or are you kind of laser-focused going in, knowing you need to get certain... Oh, no, I just like to have a fun chat and it really depends on where the interviewee wants to go. Yeah. And then I see what happens. 
which I think is because I want them to be happy and comfortable. It's not the, it's not journalism, so I don't have to like back them into a corner where their hypocrisy is revealed or anything. I'm like, you have a skill and you're sharing it with me for free to my benefit. So uh, I'm going to treat you nicely. <laughs> Let's talk about you and your childhood, you know, whatever. That's not even to do with linguistics. It's just like, you know, how do you feel about your siblings, etc. And then we're firm friends. What, we, what about when you find someone like, do you ever encounter people who are quite difficult to open up or who may be like linguistic experts but not able to kind of tell yeah that's what ed editing is for um <laughs> i i had this um one woman she was um she had invented a language as a student that had a, this sort of life on the internet as this uh, 15 years later she'd forgotten about it and then she's like wow loads of people are learning this 123 word deliberately minimalist art piece language i invented um and um, I spoke to her and I think like she had some mental health stuff going on and um, she was like, is it, uh, I can't do this, I can't do this. Is it okay if we just talk and get to know each other and do it some other time? And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And then I just started asking her about her. And then she started telling me about the language and about 15 minutes in, she's like, oh, it's happening, isn't it? <laughs> and she was great. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I felt bad for like putting her through that stress. But then also shouldn't have to get interviewed again because uh, we, we did it in the form of small talk. Straight and to the point. Yeah. I, there's a technique that I quite like that's, um, uh, that I'm always too, sort of almost always too cowardly to do that I don't know if people talk about in Australia called, does anyone know the full Schwartz? Or the, Sophie, if you've been... No, I've You've never done the full... Oh, you haven't lived until you've done the full Schwartz. But it's, so it's this uh, Danish radio producer called Stephen Schwartz who developed this technique for working with um, uh, interview subjects who might find it difficult to talk in images and to kind of construct scenes. So what he did uh, was he took someone, I think the first was someone who was like a night guard in a medical facility perhaps, and um, he brought this man into the studio, which is kind of, it's quite a kind of clinical space a lot of the time and quite hard to get people to open up. Um, and I think he got him to lay on the floor, lit some candles, made it nice, and then um, got him to close his eyes and to talk him through in the present tense. So he would say like, okay, well you're walking into this facility, like what do you, what can you see in front of you? What can you smell? What's happening now? And so it kind of became this very, very vivid present tense technique. And there's, there's a few times in, in uh, interviews where like, I listen to people use this and I think it sounds so wonderful and so rich and evocative. And I think like, I'm gonna do it, but it's really hard to convince someone to like, okay, so we're gonna have this chat that I said we'd have about this story that happened to you. You just lie down and close your eyes and I'll light some candles and then we'll make it nice. But um, I recommend going in with a half Schwartz if you're too nervous to do the full. Where it, they like, just sit in a rocking chair. Yeah, you just sit with your eyes closed okay. and you talk in the present tense. But then quietly when their eyes closed, you light all the candles and sort of set some <laughs> incense burning. Really set a mood. I think that's, that's the key. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really work over Skype, is the thing. <laughs> Yeah, they have to bring quite a lot of their own stuff to the yeah. party, I think. I remember one, um, one guy I was interviewing over Skype, he, um, he put the camera on and just started showing me all the origami that was on his desk. So that was nice. That is quite nice. Yeah. Well, I think, isn't it like throwing... Because much like you as a producer need to be kind of thrown into new situations, it's the same with interviewees. You want to kind of put them into a situation where they might realise something for the first time or they might experience it in the moment, you know... Like I remember in, in a documentary I did about ballet dancers, Last Dancers, I had two interviews with one dancer and one is her in a studio and she's kind of talking through her last dance and explaining what was happening. And, you know, she did it evocatively and well. Um, but then I got another recording done where she was in a dance studio and she was looking into the mirror being asked to talk about all the different kind of layers of herself because for dancers they spend so much time kind of dancing in front and regarding their body from the age of like five years old until you know they get and so suddenly she could kind of see these different images and she could see herself as a little girl and she could kind of tap into that nervousness and the need to be perfect and it's just a completely different tone of voice it's like waking your presenter up at five in the morning you know <laughs> you just you get to a very different space you just you just run people down until they're helpless and yeah um i think because my show largely deals with information rather than feelings it's much easier to access it than like someone's entire selfhood <laughs> <laughs> you just you're trying to get something to evoke the selfhood rather than the it's, it's vaguely implied yeah <laughs> uh, uh just wants us to get onto questions oh yes does anyone have any questions about our childhoods or 
or my face. Uh, thank you, this has been awesome. Um, I liked hearing a little bit about you guys' perspective on your own emotions as creators. On one hand, you talked a little bit about playing down your emotions um, and focusing instead on your audience or the person you're interviewing. And then you also gave the example of actually putting yourself in a situation where you evoked fear in yourself, how like maybe that actually cre created more creativity. So um, generally, how aware of your own emotions are you when you're creating? And if you are aware, do you find yourself being most creative when you're experiencing positive emotions or negative emotions? If it's emotional self-awareness, do you want to start, Helen? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this happening? <laughs> mm. I mean, I'm not self-aware enough to answer that question well. <laughs> I'm just thinking, is it better when I'm in positive or negative states of mind? I have to make the show in either. Um, I remember the hardest time was in the weeks and months between Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. Uh, and um, I just felt like a burnt-out car of a human being and not really into the idea of providing audio entertainment to people. Um, but still had to because I had socks to sell, so uh, <laughs> um, I get sock ads on my show. That's why I keep saying that. I think it's a hard thing to clock in yourself, isn't it? Like, I often find it will be a bit after the fact I'll kind of realise how sort of down or burnt out or kind of you just you just all you feel at first is the resistance of like finding it hard like you find it hard to score something or you find it hard to kind of get the right story that's going to fit that space and I think it's because there's this little bit of you that's been used up which is the kind of part that's making you feel fully alive and present tense which is where the ideas and the love of all of it comes from so I think it's taken me a very long time to learn to be much more careful with that part of myself and like I don't know, to take to go for long walks. And I like throwing myself into very large, cold bodies of water, which is um, like going swimming in the middle of the day. And kind of, I find that that just immediately takes you out of your head. And I think it's quite important to get strategies to like stop racketing around. In to freeze the feelings out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think, well, literally, when you, like, when you get into very cold water, you can't think about anything other than the thought that you might die. It's near-death experiences. That's my key recommendation <laughs> for all of you. When, when your lungs are shocked into not breathing anymore, that's yeah. when uh, you can start to get production done. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely job, Eleanor. <laughs> Don't follow any of I feel our like advice. What, I'm yeah, so sorry. We're advising you how to run a 1950s-style boarding school. <laughs> yeah, it's very British. Uh, did you make a show about the language of Brexit? No, thanks. Um, uh, actually, no, that's a lie. I did, um, kind of. I did one about uh, the language around migration, particularly how the press talks about migration. And to be honest, I put that episode off for 18 months because I didn't want to do it and I just got sadder and sadder. And then I was like, wow, this topic's not going away at all. Um, and uh, yeah, and it still hasn't. So kind of, but I started on it before Brexit was even a vile little dream of anyone's. And the language the papers use around migration is very thoughtless, dehumanising and uh, evil. So, spoiler. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering, Eleanor, you talked about, you know, taking yourself out of the studio or going to another environment to record interviews and stuff. Is that something you've developed over time as an act of reinvention or is that something you've always done to kind of change the... The framework, I suppose. I think it's something that I've learned very slowly. Like I'm quite a sort of uh, timid person a lot of the time, so I think the first few years when I was making things, I was like just so delighted anyone had agreed to an interview. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to move them away from like the noisy planes or the fridge. I'd just be like, thank you so much for talking to me, and then just kind of ask them a few polite questions and leave. So I think a lot of that stuff is. Uh, feeling more and more that I can do things without having to ask for permission and that it's all right to kind of treat what we're doing as an art form and to kind of to think about how you play with approach and what you're doing it's less kind of that you're just going out to grab information which I think is maybe where I was sort of starting from yeah now you shut them in the fridge until they give up some uh, personal feelings exactly that's Josie's having a very tough time right now <laughs> but um yeah I think I mean part of what we're able to do with shortcuts is because I have a presenter who is so open and warm and sort of up for trying things and I think kind of is responsive to that sort of stuff so you have to you have to gauge how much someone's going to allow you to play with those sorts of spaces the same with your interviewee I think you know there are some people who will be really 
game to seeing how it makes them talk and there are other people who will kind of close down. So you're always just trying to kind of build the environment that's going to allow them the space to open up um, and for you to kind of recede a bit. Um, thank you both. I've really enjoyed listening to you and I want to listen to all of the shows now. Um, I have a brief question, uh, mainly to Eleanor. Um, can you give me a sense of uh, the, the support from the BBC for shortcuts? Um, did you imagine when the show first started it was going to keep going for this many shows and do you feel it will continue to go on and you have that support and what kind of support might that be? Uh, I think, I mean, I always feel we're on the verge of getting cancelled, which I don't know is, that's just, again, like my inner fear. I mean, each time we get recommissioned, it's a joy and a wonderful thing. I think, I mean, our security tends to come from outside recognition. So if we get an award or if we get a kind of nice review, I feel it sort of protects us for a little bit because you can kind of wave it in front and say like, no, 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 other people have said, it's not just my mum who's listening to this, like <laughs> other people are listening to it and that kind of protects it a little bit. But it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing kind of working with within sort of big institutions and we're, you know, we're an independent production company and so we are kind of outside of a lot of those conversations and big marketing pushes and the sort of decision about what the direction of that space is going to be. So I, I kind of, I can't say what's going to happen to us. I think all we can do is try and safeguard it by keeping it open and making it the best that it can be and drawing in new voices and being responsive. So I think that's all, you can, there is no safety in this world. It's all just, uh, yeah, a bit precarious, it feels. Thanks for bringing it back to theme, so effectively. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, I, yeah, it's an interesting space at the moment, because Helen and I were talking yesterday about how, I'm um, just going to reveal all our private conversations, and that's all right, okay. but how there was this sort of amazing wave a couple of years ago that felt so optimistic that I'm sure you all felt in Australia as well with this sort of huge podcasting boom, and you felt like there's going to be so many more sources of funding, and it's such a kind of, it's a sort of protected cultural space that people really believe in, and it's going to kind of open up and be wonderful. All these new voices, people from outside radio and yeah, new ideas. And now we're kind of here a couple of years on and it, it sort of feels like that's not quite happening. Like a lot of the, the problems in the spaces that already exist are just being replicated in the new ones, that the kind of the funding's not coming. This is almost being used as an excuse for there to be less money and less support for certain things. So I kind of... Yeah, I, I wonder what the landscape is going to look like a few years on. I said it was a bleak session. It really, we're, we're in very bad emotional places right now. A the end of audio. valuable first step in therapy. A big thanks to Eleanor McDowell and Helen Zaltzman for travelling all the way from the UK to join us for that session small acts of reinvention. Our podcast is produced by Selena Shannon with music composition by James Milsom. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast and also we'd love to stay in touch. Sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at audiocraftfest. 